spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Good, good morning, and welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. And we dial in weekly to encourage you to stay on your spiritual path. I'm Tracy, and I think we have Leslie as well. We do, encouraging Leslie to stay on her spiritual path, very important. Uh, yeah, that's really hard when you have sick kitties. <laughs> that's exactly right. I I spent most of the morning in the vet, so that was a good reminder that uh, things do happen. Emergencies do come up. Yes. So um, we are here this morning, and every week we have a theme. The theme today is self-love, and it is the last of our themes for the month of February that are all grounded in love, since the month of February is often referred to as the month of love. And we have already looked at um, agape love, the idea of loving all creation. We've we've talked about uh, romantic love. We've talked about love with our friends and family and work coworkers, people we have relationships with. And today we focus on loving ourselves. It was funny, we talked about when we began the series about the idea of doing self-love last. And, um, the idea of how hard it is to love ourselves. We didn't even think about self-love until we thought about all the other love topics, right? <laughs> well, and isn't that the way that for most of us, we're so busy giving to everyone else. And even though we might complain about it, we still put it out. We, you know, send love out. We do things for other people. We're generous. And then we realize, wow, nobody's taking care of me, including myself. Including me, right. That's so true. So true. Yeah. Now what was last week for our Connect the Dots? I already I already heard it was the that was the family love or the people love or the, the um Yeah. Affiliated love. love, love with the love we show and share with love family, me. friends, coworkers, people who we have ongoing relationships with. So do you want to connect the dots? There you go. Even even without uh my morning going smoothly. I have to connect the dots, right? That would bring me back into my zen. I guess. And, uh, <laughs> see, even without being there, Tracy, I can see your your face looking at me and lovingly reassuring me. Connecting the dots to loving other people, I think that is an easy connect the dots. We talk a lot about using the metaphor of when you're going down in a plane, they always instruct you to put your oxygen mask on first. And that way you're prepared to be able to help your children or other people around you. And it does seem sort of obvious, but it always bears repeating that if I don't really know how to love myself fully and really fully embrace my own 
good, then it's fairly improbable that I can completely embrace someone else's good. Yeah. I agree with that. There's my connect the dots. I thought that was pretty good, pretty easy. I think that's an excellent connect the dots. (laughs) Very good. And so in our fine tradition, now that we have connected the dots, we'll take a little break, a little over one minute, and then we'll come back and we'll start diving deeply into today's theme, which is self-love. Welcome back. You're listening to Say Yes to Spirit on Blog Talk Radio, encouraging you on your spiritual path with Tracy and Leslie. And our theme today is self-love. And I want to start us off with this quote. Let's see if I can find it now that I've decided to start there. (laughs) It's a quote from the... um, the website selfgrowth.com and it's titled your your primary spiritual relationship loving yourself and it's written by Darlene Lancer and she starts off with her article saying this popular culture is focused on attracting love yet you'll only be able to receive as much love as you give to yourself you You'll deflect or guard love that doesn't resonate with you, like a compliment you don't believe. The opposite is also true. You will allow others to abuse you a bit less than you abuse yourself. So if you desire lasting love, learn to love yourself because your relationship will parallel your relationship with yourself. Oh, now, that's tricky. I hadn't thought about that, that I couldn't receive more love than I could give myself. I had not thought about that. Well, you know, I, I actually, when it's stated that way, it's like, no, I agree with that. Because if someone 
is actually giving you love, is is interacting with you from a place of love, but you don't love yourself. You can't see it. You think they could be trying to be controlling. You think that they just don't see the real you. You know, it's like you cannot take it in at a level deeper than how you see yourself. Yeah, that's really different. That's that's a different spin than I had thought of. It makes perfect sense. What spin did you think of? Well, the idea that I can't fully love someone else until I fully, you know, love myself. But uh, the idea that oh, I can't. I, I, I think both are true. Yeah, I think both are true, but I've never, the other is really kind of more profound, that I actually block love from myself based on my own ability or inability to love myself. Yeah, and I think that our relationships with others do, I mean, you know, I think that there are people who can stretch us a little bit further than where we are, but there can't be this big, huge gap. Because you'll fill the gap with denials or judgment or, you know, they, they like, um, what's the quote, I would never want to be, the Woody Allen quote, <laughs> I would never want to be a member of a club that would have me. Right, right. And so, you know, either it's just enough that that person, the other person is loving you in a way that you would like to love yourself. So you can accept it because it stretches you to where you want to be, but if they truly are acting in a loving way and you can't get there, you can't see it, you can't believe it, because you don't love yourself enough to believe mm-hmm. you are worth that love or that they are seeing the true you be beyond whatever you're doing, you know, then you think then you think they're crazy or they're sick and you you put a barrier between the two of you. Yeah, and that's so that really is fascinating to me, that kind of an invisible barrier probably. Strange way. You kinda of have to make that other person bad or wrong. Right. To protect my own sense of self hate. <laughs> Yeah, that does sound kind of sick, doesn't it? That does sound now that I say it out loud. I don't love myself, so I can't let you love me because then I'd have to love me too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're not very true. Yeah, so I mean, it, it it's easy to see the barriers, the barriers we put up that get between me and my loving myself. You know, it's like no one else is putting that barrier there mm-hmm. as an adult. So, we're, you know, it's a whole different thing if you look at children who are reacting to circumstances around them and choices that adults are making. But as an adult, you know, learning to and and choosing to love yourself, with you, with all of who you are, your flaws as well as your strengths. You know, it just seems like that's really, really critical. And is there a 
just saying yes to spirit help us do that. I would imagine, you know, God loves us regardless of our flaws or our circumstances or our interpretation of ourselves. Yeah, you know, um, I uh, just when you asked the question that way, it made me think of how often when I'm in doing prayer or, you know, treatment, that I'll actually use the the sequence or the logic of um, God is perfect and makes no mistakes. And because of that, there's no mistake in the way I have been created and in who I am in, in my essential nature. And because of that, you know, then I must love who I am because I have been made in the spiritual image and likeness of God itself. Yeah, that's worth writing down, isn't it? Yeah, well, and so yeah, it's that what you what you said. I mean, God loves you, so why don't you love yourself? God knows everything. God could could have created you differently. God could have given you, you know, the 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 knowledge and the wisdom of God could have had your life turn out differently. And you know, it has to be happening for a good reason, you know, and, and you know the difference between the choices that you make, you know, free will, and the essence of who you are. Well, talk about that. How do I, I mean, you know, yes, I think I know, you know, when I'm when I'm operating off of free will and feeling in fear or feeling... Um, you know, like like unlovable or un unconnected to my own sense of goodness. You know, and I'm in my free will now. I have a little bit of an observer eye that I can sometimes get a glimpse of that and be reminded. But it's really kind of curious to me how important it is to have something else outside of me be able to help remind me of that too. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think I don't mean to imply that in every moment of every day we are we have a clear demarcation between the true essential nature of who we are and you know our free will decision of right this moment. But I do believe that for most people, when you look at your life overall. And you, you know, look at decisions you've made, life decisions, to marry or not to marry, to go to school or not to go, to drop out of school, to, um, you know, that you, you know, to take a certain job or not, to live in a certain city or not, that there are some times where you'll say, well, these were circumstances, and based on the circumstances, I made this choice. Or I, if someone, you know, is addicted to drugs or to alcohol or to shopping 
or you know to whatever to eating to whatever that addiction usually does not feel like moment by moment like I'm making a choice right you feel like it's control right but at the same time if you look if you're 40 and you look at the pattern of your life over you know the last 20 years you can see times when you made a conscious choice that you knew was not necessarily in your best interest. It was not supporting the best of who you are. You know, I heard, um, I think it was Oprah Soul Series. Love Oprah Soul Series. Uh, you love anything, Oprah. <laughs> I love all things, Oprah. Yes, I do. Um they were asking a teacher, a spiritual teacher, about how does she know when it's intuition versus something else, like not intuition. And because intuition always has our highest and best good, right? And she said that intuition is always consistent. That if it's fear or our free will or our little human ego talking in our head, that tends to go back and forth and question itself and be one thing one day and one thing the next, and that intuition is always very consistent and very, you know, still small voice, very, very sort of silently running behind the, the track, running behind the track kind of thing. Yeah, and intuition is usually... Unless it's a life or death situation, intuition is usually very quiet. Right. And it's more of a nudge than a push. Yeah. yeah. Being consistent, that was a new thing for me. Yeah, I love that. It's going to come up every time you're in that situation. It's just going to be that whisper. Come on, this is what's in your best interest. And I do find that once you listen to it, once I listen to my intuition over and over, I do get a clearer understanding of it. At first, for me, it was very much hit and miss. I just kind of believed everything that I heard in my head, which was kind of frightening because I hear a lot of things in my head. <laughs> but uh, as I followed each one kind of out, I would just, over time, I determined, you know, which one, which little voice really... Which will nudge his spirit, which is me, and he goes. So, you know what strikes me in this topic of self-love is that usually when I see it come up or when I, you know, see an article about it or people are talking about it, usually it's in the context of um, mothers, not taking care of themselves, uh, wives and mothers, losing themselves in the relationship with their spouse or their partner, and or losing themselves in the focus to care for the children. And as a result of that, they don't take care of themselves. What They don't nurture their own needs, their own interests, the things that they think about or think would make their lives wonderful. 
And sometimes that's self-care just in terms of getting enough sleep or exercise. But a lot of times it gets talked about really in the context of loving, you know, self-love. Do you even like who you are? Do you even recognize that you are a unique individual with needs and desires and skills and talents to offer to the world? Right. Right. And so I think, you know, when we talk about say yes to spirit and self-love, you know, we do have to ask that question, number one, do you look at yourself and your life and say, I love me? Do you look right. in the mirror? Can you look in the mirror and say, I love, you know, look yourself in the eye and say, I really love you. And many times we get that confused with thinking that's selfish. I think our society tells us that that's selfish. If we look in the mirror and say, I love me, somebody will say, oh, my God, you're so selfish. Selfish or conceited? Conceited, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean both, that if you're doing things that support you recognizing your unique self and loving that, that that's, Selfish, and yeah, if you look at yourself and say, you know, I am all of that, <laughs> right? Then yeah, that's conceit. But I don't, I don't. Well, I definitely don't agree with that. I think there's a difference between self-acceptance and being conceited, and I think there's a difference between being selfish and providing self-care. So, you know, that the whole being able, we're not always really good in the U.S. about fine distinctions between words and concepts. So I want to have very strong self-awareness and self-acceptance. And I don't think that necessarily makes me conceited or self or selfish. <clears throat> and would you say selfish is kind of a concept? Well, obviously, I would I would agree with anyone who says that you know someone is selfish based on their behavior. So if everything is always about them, and everything they ask for, everything they do, they do it because it benefits them personally. That's selfish, especially if it's it benefits me and everybody around me consistently is not benefited by it. You know, we're going to do what I want to do, even though the other three people, you know, the four of us decide we're going to go out to dinner. And everybody has an idea, but it always has to be, you know, I want Thai food today, so we're going to a Thai restaurant, or I'm just not going to go. That's selfish. If it's, if that is, let's say it's a dinner group and we have dinner, you know, the fourth Friday of every month. If every month it has to be where I want to go, that's selfish. Right. Because selfish, at least to me, you know, is shown in your actions when you get what you want with disregard 
to what others want or need. And that would probably be another indicator of pure self-love because I think when we're really fully loving ourselves, then we're not going to step in and step over or hurt or deny somebody else's choices or wants or well-being. Well, and if we are, if we love ourselves, and a part of what we love about ourselves is the relationships that we have with people who feed us and who teach us and who we just enjoy being with, then a part of nurturing the relationship demands that there is some give and take. And I want you to be happy just like I want myself to be happy. So, I mean, and I think that's what happens in our close relationships. It's not so much that we give in from a power struggle, but we give to the relationship that is formed between us when we compromise, when we say, you know, I would prefer A, but you have a strong, strong feeling for B, and my preference for A is, you know, is just a slight preference, then let's do B because you feel so strongly about it. I'm nurturing the relationship, and in effect, I am loving myself because I'm committed to what you and I are building together. Well, that's an interesting idea. If I'm really committed to a partner or a friend or maybe giving to a stranger or helping others less fortunate folks, um, it's probably part of self-love to have them be fulfilled. Well, yeah, you know, that's funny because what makes sense to me is like when you said, you know, giving to a stranger, what I am doing is not a lot of times we think, oh, I'm doing this for that poor person. You know, we think of charity as, I am doing better and I can help this other person. And that there's an element of that. But if you really love yourself and you love the world that you live in and you want the world you live in to be a place that you love to be, then in that sense, a lot of what we think of as charity or fixing other people is really about feeding into, feeding the love into the world in a way so that I can live who I am, either as a giver or helping to create the world in which I can be my best self. And that may mean, you know, giving a dollar to the homeless person or giving, a you know, a million-dollar endowment to an organization, but not because I am superior, but because I am grounded in love and I love myself enough to help create a world where I can be my best. And that has that is intention, doesn't it? That's what our intention behind it. Yeah, it always goes back to that. I mean, you bring, you always notice that that two people can do the same thing, but if their intention is different, it's not the same thing. Right, right, right. And I absolutely 
buy into this concept that until like everyone has what they need, we're all individually left. That whole idea of the one that we are one and the idea that I can have all I need and my neighbor can not have all their need and me be okay is so foreign to me. I just I really see that until everybody has what they need there's a little sliver of me that can never have what I need. And, um, yes, I agree with that. And for me, where the challenge comes is I can clearly define what I need, and it's harder for me to clearly define what you need. And You know, if I look at your life and I believe you need you know, to live in a certain kind of house in a certain kind of neighborhood, have a certain amount of food, drive a certain kind of car, but you're perfectly fine in the job you have, driving the car you own. Um, you know, that that's what's hard when we start, when we don't ask the other, what is it that you feel you need? Let me help provide that or make that happen for you. Yeah, and I'm just talking basic, like food, like three meals. Like, yeah, like food and a safe place to live and, and health care. Right, right. Beyond that, yeah, I'm not looking at much beyond that, but just to have people within my own neighborhood that, you know, are hungry, are able to eat three meals a day that they can't really feed their kids. Let alone their pets. Let alone, that's exactly right. <laughs> I I use all of my uh, good karma with my pet. My vet gives me a discount to keep my pet happy. Yeah, for for anyone who, if this is your first time listening, then that you didn't necessarily know that that was a little bit of an inside joke. Um, since Leslie has no two-legged children, but <laughs> she feeds every four-legged child she can own, find, or otherwise scrounge up. Or perhaps feel I used to have a friend because I would foster dogs for a few years, and dogs that I would find didn't have a collar, didn't have a chip, you know, wandering around. And my friends finally came and said I was probably stealing people's dogs, but they were just out, you know, Walking around having a nice walk. Yeah. Picking them up and finding a new home. Yeah, feeling good about that. That's if you get to always put a collar or a chip on your animal or some do gooder will come steal them. Exactly. And I get a lot of love and affection for my four legged animals, and I think probably. Going back to what you said earlier, I'm just really fascinated by that concept that I can't actually let any more love in from another person than I can love myself. And that's a really profound idea. So I love this Rumi quote. It's, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Your task is not to seek for love, 
but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against love. And so often I do think that when we notice that we are not loving ourselves, we, for me, some of the times when I notice I need to really stop and feed myself is because I'm looking outside of me for, you know, someone else to love me for someone else to do things that let me know that I'm worthy of love, for someone else, you know, to respond in a certain way that builds my self-esteem. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, I know who I am. I know how wonderful I am, not from an egotistic point of view, but from a spiritually grounded point of view. I know I have something unique to offer in this world, and what am I doing to nurture that and to honor that and to share it? And when I feed myself that way, then it is so easy, so easy for me to give generously to others because I'm not so needy and I'm not blocking or boxing in the best parts of who I am. Right. And you know, I have really struggled with that over the years, being an incest survivor and going through that real self-hatred. I mean, that sounds dramatic, but it was very dramatic for years. And even still, I think I can fall back into that as my... Um, Remote control, or not something exactly, but you know, it's my default pattern. Yeah. And when I do it, it's so subtle. And I, and I really have to consciously make, make, get out of that pattern, get off of that groove of the record, and put myself into the idea of, okay, that if I believe that I'm Christ consciousness, if I believe I'm God expressing then how can I be full of self-hate or dirty or less than different from... And I have to kind of intellectually talk myself out of it initially right. and then I can get back into the feeling of um, being the God expressing. I think it, for me, many times I have to start it jump start by by affirmations or reminding myself to leave what I know to be true and then I can settle to the feeling of it. So that's a really good um reminder or a good entree into talking about what spiritual practices can we use that help us love ourselves more. Because what you just said was, you know, I didn't have to kind of intellectually convince myself. Um, But a lot of what you do is not just the intellectual argument. It really is, you know, it's a spiritual argument, a reminder of reminder. So we always, you know, just about every week, we do try to take a few minutes and link what we're talking about to spiritual practices. So what spiritual practices um, come to mind that could help 
reconnect and reground any one of us to the spiritual truth that I I can love myself. Doesn't it sound like what I just said was a treatment, wasn't it? My favorite thing. Yes. Not your favorite thing, but that is a treatment, isn't it? Yes. And um, I say it's not my favorite thing because I always think, wow, that's, you know, it it goes to a certain one, two, three, four, five, and has a pattern. And I'm going to let you describe the pattern. I'm kind of hearing my voice as I'm talking. But I learned recently in a class at the Center for Spiritual Living in Dallas, there's two kinds of treatment. One would be an argumentative, and one would be a realization treatment. Yes. And I think I really like the realization treatment. So you think just you a little, little bit, old practitioner Tracy, because um, I'm getting a lot of feedback on my voice, which is just about to drive me nuts. Okay. Well, so first, just using the reference of the term treatment, and I'm I'm laughing a little bit because. You know, Sandra Francis and I are teaching the four-week series on powerful prayer, which is all about four weeks, all about uh, spiritual mind treatments and how how to strengthen them and how to confidently write or say them so that they have the greatest impact. And just this past Wednesday, the topic, part of the topic, or the whole topic was the realization step. And we talked about the the difference between the argumentative approach and the um, realization approach. That's perfect. And I like, yeah, Yeah. tell us about that. So it is perfect. So first, if anyone's listening and we're we're using this term treatment and you don't know what we mean, um, treatment is simply a form of affirmative prayer. An affirmative prayer is a prayer that affirms the power and the presence and of of God, and that's different from a prayer where you are begging for or um, you know looking for someone else or for God outside of yourself to kind of reach down and do a favor for you or to fix you. And so an affirmative prayer starts from the point of God is all there is, that everything is God, and you simply recognize the power and the presence and the infinite nature of God. And what Leslie said was that there's some specific steps when we do what we call a treatment. And so the first step simply is recognizing the essence of Spirit, the essence of God. And the second step is unifying your essence with the essence of God. I am made in the spiritual image and likeness of God, and therefore there is no separation between me and God. There is a direct connection. And so then the third step is the step that we call the realization step, And it is all about realizing whatever it is that would reflect the essential nature of God showing up (coughs) 
in your life. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so the realization is the realization is more I like to use the word remembering. It's kind of if I have a sense of of a spiritual program and a spiritual community and a spiritual sense of I am pretty well seated in that. It's more of a remembering than realizing. Is that fair to say? Are you still coughing up a lung because I can't see you? So I can continue talking if you are. <laughs> well, I mean, it is remembering. It is definitely, we are realizing, we are describing what it would look like if we were realizing or remembering <coughs> that the true essential nature of God is showing up in life, in Athens, through us. And so in that sense, it is simply an affirmative statement of what is. And that is different from um, the argumentative step that would be, that it doesn't mean you're arguing with God. It simply means that you are, what you said, you are, you are convincing your brain that this essential nature is available to you and can be present in your life. And so the argumentative approach in the, that realization step might be, oh, okay, this is, this is perfect. So an argumentative approach might be, I do not, den or I deny the power of this cough and this sore throat to define who I am because what I know is that at my true essential nature, I have perfect health and my body works easily and effortlessly, every organ and every part of my body working together. So I could simply take the realization approach and say, my body works perfectly and there is nothing physically wrong with me. But because I am coughing and because I have had a sore throat, you know, there, my brain is going liar, liar. That's not true. That's not true. Let me prove it to you. I'm going to let you cough right now. So sometimes when we are caught up, you know, in the more dramatic or the more emotional <clears throat> the situation is, we might use the argumentative technique to say, you know, my body is, is, you know, experiencing some symptoms right now that the doctors have called cancer. However, what I know to be true is that, you know, and go on to say that my body has the my body has within it the ability to heal itself and with the help of doctors and nurses who are guided by the wisdom of God itself, I know that my body is healing and every cell and every atom is breathing in the breath of life. So I may start off with the doctors have diagnosed cancer 
And that in my brain is a fact, but that fact does not have more power than the true essential nature. So in the process of doing the treatment, <clears throat> the argumentative approach, it's not arguing is it true or is it not, but it is simply stating something that is not the essence of spirit and then giving your brain a new way to process it. So, so I'm, I'm arguing with myself, right? I mean, if I'm arguing with anything, I'm arguing with my false beliefs, right? Right. Your your spiritual self is presenting an argument, just in like the defense attorney will present an argument. They're not arguing, so to say, so to speak, with the defense attorney, but they're presenting an argument to the jury of this is what you really need to consider and this is, you know, this is the truth of this situation. Interesting. I never had thought about it in terms of a lawyer arguing a case because that's exactly true. They're not... They're not really arguing against something. There are for how they say the events happen. They're trying to convince the jury. Yeah, they're arguing to convince the jury of the outcome that they believe in or that they are most committed to. Then that's a better word than believe. What is what is it that? In a strange way, they're not trying to change anybody's mind. In theory, on the jury, should be kind of a blank. Exactly. So they're just simply giving and giving an argument so that the jury has more information and hopefully enough information that the jury then believes what it is that that particular attorney is presenting. And so if you think of your mind and your life as the jury then that's what you're doing in treatment. You are simply presenting the case for your wholeness and your best life to the jury in your mind. Yeah, that's interesting. And the jury in my mind, well, but the jury in my mind is probably in a false belief. It's not necessarily a blank. Well, no, the jury in your mind is... Well, I don't know. I believe the jury in your mind starts out blank, but it makes its decision based on what you have said it and what information it has received. So if for the last five years it has received information from you, you oh, know, right. <laughs> that says um, – Tracy wants to be financially successful, and she defines financially successful as just being able to pay her bills every month. Then the jury makes decisions and takes actions and makes recommendations to your subconscious to make sure that whatever comes up, you, Tracy has just enough money to make it through that and go, made it. But if I, if Tracy were to begin to claim that financial success means having a bank balance of $500,000 at all minimum at all times then the jury and I you know and I continuously gave the jury corroborating information 
that supported that argument, then the jury is going to start making decisions that reflect that information, that argument, that realization. Think about how much, for myself personally, how much collaborating, collaborating uh, information I give every day to the jury that I am just not worthy, and it's just not going to work out. And, you know, exactly. Best of luck with that for everybody else, but not for me. So yes. yeah, what am I feeding the jury? That's a great. That's a great idea. Yeah, we and we. That's what we do, and most of the time, what we are. The information we are feeding the jury is subconscious. We're not consciously saying, I am not worthy. We're not consciously, our theme today is self-love. We're not consciously saying, okay, jury, I don't love myself. But we we subtly, you know, we we make a decision, oh, well, I'd really like to go out to lunch today, you know, but no, I, I, I'm I, not going to do that because I want to buy my daughter a new dress. Well, I bought my daughter a new dress three times in the last two months, and my daughter has, you know, 20 dresses hanging in her closet that haven't been worn yet. So what what evidence am I feeding the jury? I'm feeding the jury that I don't love myself more than I don't love myself, or, or at the very least, I love my daughter so much. I want to give her excess and not feed myself. So it's not like you just say to your your inner jury, "I don't love myself," but the actions you take and the decisions you make are the evidence. And and I'm liking this this analogy or metaphor. <laughs> I, I do too. I do too. I think it makes me and you know, the uh concept that's really supported in the law of attraction is in the science of mind is the idea of the, of the feeling behind the thought or the feeling behind the belief. And um when I hear I have a friend that's a lawyer, criminal lawyer, and she'll talk about the feeling the jury has will sway their decision, even um, in face of facts that go against their feeling, they will go with the feeling. So that's why they're constantly trying to make the, the you know, the defendant give off of something that would make the, ju- the jury like the defendant. Right. To connect with a feeling within the jury itself, and that feeling is the thing that ignites the seed that we plant, really, in our idea of the law of attraction, right? And staying with this theme, you know, so often we give the judge the power, and so for people, especially in in not so much in our spiritual tradition. But in the spiritual traditions where, you know, a lot of faith practices see God as the judge, the ultimate judge, the decider. Right. But in keeping with our talking about the attorney, like you have a defense attorney and a prosecuting attorney, and which, which, and both of them are feeding information to your inner jury. The jury is the one that says, here's the decision and hands it to the judge. 
like in the serenity prayer, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I've done what I can do. I've been really clear. And now I just have to let go and know that God, you know, let go and let God, let go and know that this is being handled, that the, <laughs> that the consequences are going to reflect what I have put into, what I have, the information I have fed the jury, so to speak. <clears throat> right, right, right. Yeah, so those are the five steps. And yes, I think the treatment, whether you do it for yourself or whether you have a, um, you know, someone who's a licensed practitioner or someone who's simply an experienced uh, prayer, prayer, uh, do it, that, that that's a great spiritual practice. Affirmations, which are often what's used in that realization step, you know, affirmations yes. that can be a very powerful spiritual practice to reignite the love that I have for myself, uh, the love that I want to develop and nurture in loving myself. Um, yeah, I don't know... Um spiritual practice necessarily, but the, you know, looking in the mirror and really having a just a time with myself in the mirror. I know when I was really going through my, um, I guess it's probably it was a spiritual and therapeutic healing of the incest. I, you know, I couldn't look in myself in the mirror. I, I mean, the months would go by, probably a year, maybe at some point went by, and I just never looked at myself in the mirror. I kind of you know shower and brush my hair out. Thank God I had short hair. And, but just embracing myself, looking at myself, saying, oh, my goodness, you're, you're okay. Everything's good. Just having that physical connection to my physical presence, I think, is a is a powerful daily tool to stay involved in self And one of, uh, a friend of mine um, wrote a book that was that's called In My Mother's Voice. And it is a book about key lessons she learned from her mother. And her mother transitioned, um, you know, young. But she got a practice. Her mother used to always say, good morning, beautiful, to her. And as an adult, what she transitioned that to, and she teaches women to do especially, is look in the mirror and look yourself in the eye every morning and say, good morning, beautiful. Oh, nice. Before you, wash, before you wash your face, before you put on makeup, before you comb your hair, look in the mirror and acknowledge that you are a beautiful creation of God. Yeah, that sounds so corny, but that will change a life. That changed yeah. my life, yeah. Yeah. So our time is up, and um, and today we talked about self-love, and we end our series on love. So join us in March. Please check the schedule. We are going to have some schedule changes during March. Or if Saturday morning is the best time for you to listen, then please listen to the recording for that week. Uh, but we'll be moving the schedule around, trying some different times in March to see um, how that feels and how that works. We'll be back, and um, we hope that you will join us at when you come. And in the meantime, say yes. Say yes to spirit. spirit.